0: Abiding Hope Church's podcast of our weekly sermons. For more information about our church, please visit (laughs) AbidingHope.org. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The gospel of the Lord. So in our text today, Jesus is is with his disciples, and they were at the temple. And they come out of the temple, and his disciples are noticing how big the buildings are, how big the stones are. They're impressed by this. You see... In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus only goes to Jerusalem one time, and that happens to be the last week of his life, and that's where we are right now. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus knew that if he were to go to Jerusalem, he would be killed, and so he didn't go, right? He stayed up in Galilee, stayed up in the north, and you remember that when he told his disciples, hey, we're going to go down to Jerusalem, what'd Peter say? No, Peter said, no way, we're not going to do this. He rebuked Jesus, and Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan, right? Remember that? Because we got to go. We got to go. And he knew he was going to die. And so at this point, they had come down to Jerusalem. He had gone to the temple. He had cleansed the temple, we call that. Remember when he chased out the money changers and, and, and all the animals that they were selling for sacrifice, chased all of them out? And at this point, the authorities now are plotting to have him killed. They're trying to figure out an opportune time to arrest him. And we know what will happen. It'll be Thursday night after the Last Supper, after the Passover celebration, when he's in the garden and he's betrayed by one of his own, and the authorities will take him prisoner. It's bad. When he's here with his disciples in this moment, things are not good. It's bad. The world is bad. Jesus' situation is bad. And things have been bad for a long time for the Jewish people at that time. I mean, in the 4th century BCE, when when, um, Alexander the Great came through Palestine and he Hellenized Palestine, he made everything Greek, right? He brought Palestine into the Greek culture, and then after Alexander died... What happened was his generals began to fight over that territory, it was rich territory. It was territory that was used for trade routes and so people wanted Palestine. And so people came from Egypt and fought, people came down from the region of Syria in the north and fought, people came from the east over where it used to be Babylon and so forth and fought. And, and the people who lived in Palestine were constantly experiencing bloodshed. They were constantly experiencing regime changes. And then finally the Romans came in. And when the Romans came in, they took over everything. And they put their governor there and their soldiers there. And the people had very little freedom and almost no rights. When Jesus was growing up, I'm sure he he saw the streets lined with crucifixions. Very often we think that Jesus was one of the only people crucified. No, the Romans crucified a lot of folks. They governed through fear. You know, fear's a a good way to control people, right? Sometimes we parent with fear. The Romans used fear to control the crowds. And so they wouldn't crucify you off in some hidden place. They would crucify people along the main roads, and they would line those roads with crucified bodies, and you were not permitted to go and remove your loved one's body off the cross. They had to stay there. They wanted to make a statement. Those, those, that flesh had to stay there until the birds or the animals picked the bones clean. Awful. This is the circumstance that Jesus is sitting in. This is what he's dealing with at that time. People didn't have jobs. There was no education. There was no chance for advancement. You were born into a, a position in life and you died in that same position. It was terrible, awful for people. Well, it's, it's bad now too. It's bad for us. Our world has been bad for a while. Maybe we, in this context, can say it's been bad since April 20, 1999. You know what that date represents. Or others might say it's been bad since 9-11. We, we, we keep growing more and more divided. Our government gets more and more dysfunctional. We, we, we're uncertain about the economy. There's no, there's no affordable housing right now in Denver, right? I mean, it's insane what's going on. Those of us who have been here a while, good for us with equity, but try, try to have a 20-something year old son or daughter and, and have them find a place to live right now. Good luck. And how long is this going to maintain? How long is this housing thing going to keep going? Is it going to level off? Is it going to go down? What's going to happen? What's going to happen with the economy? It's been good. I mean, the economy's been good, but we hear a lot about unemployment right now, a lot of people out of work. The Delta continues to to wreak havoc. We lost a member of the congregation last night to COVID, and he was vaccinated. It's bad. We're looking at family systems. Last week, when I was working um, uh, uh, prayers here, the prayer station, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's just family after family is in crisis asking for prayers, asking for help. You see it in your own family systems. I don't think the pandemic has wrecked families, but I think the pandemic has revealed the cracks that already existed within family systems, the cracks that already existed within marriages. Our young people are questioning whether life is worth it. We we deal with these things on a weekly basis here at the church. Last week, I was um, keynote speaker this past week at a bishop's conference in northeastern Pennsylvania, and they have 254 congregations, Lutheran congregations, just in northeastern PA. Lutheranism in the United States started in this area. They have churches that, church buildings that are over 200, some over 250, over 300 years old in this part of the United States. And then when I was preparing to to lead this bishop's conference, I was talking to the bishop, and he said, Doug, we're just hoping to save 120 of them out of 254. Things aren't good. And what's going to turn the world around? What's going to get things going in the right direction? Government? No. (laughs) You're allowed to talk back to me. Thank you. Do you, re- do you really have confidence that our government's going to pull it together and, and, and start to turn things around? They can't even talk to each other, for goodness sake. They keep firing at each other and shooting at each other. What happened to the day where you bring your ideas and we bring our ideas and, and, um, and we come up with a better idea, right? We work together. This table, you know, what we want here at this table, we want Democrats and Republicans here. We want poor and wealthy here. We want men and women here. We want uh, uh, LGBTQ people here, straight people here. We want uh, white and, and, and brown skin people at this table because that's the point. You see, I think the only thing that's gonna transform the world is the church. I'm betting my life on it. The only thing that's gonna transform this world, the only thing that's gonna create new life in this world is the church. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Don't be so impressed by how big these buildings are. Don't be so impressed by how big these stones are. We got a lot of big stone churches around that are gonna be closing here pretty soon. And we got a lot of institutions that won't be here forever. It's hard for us to think about the United States not being around forever. But Rome ain't here anymore. Babylon's not around anymore. Byzantine Empire is gone. You really think the United States of America is going to last forever? I don't think so. That's a scary thought. So in what do we hope? In what do we place our hope? For me, it's got to be the church. But it's got to be the church that Jesus envisioned. Not the church that says some are in and some are out. Not the church that says some are winners and some are losers. Not the church that says we're right and you're wrong. But the church that lives love. I'm convinced that the only path forward for us is if we choose love and we choose hope. That's our theme for next year. And the reason we, we, we selected that theme is because we think that's what it's going to take. It's gonna take us choosing love, choosing hope, and choosing to live differently than the rest of the world. If we say, well, you know, it's, Pastor Doug, <laughs> you're asking a lot, man. This is, uh, you're talking about changing the culture at our workplaces, changing the culture at our homes, chas- changing the culture in our schools, changing the culture in our neighborhoods. We're tired. And that's a lot of work. I get it. But we have two options. One option is to do nothing. And if we do nothing, what's going to change? It'll keep getting worse. we got to do something. And this something we're being called into is to pour our whole selves out the way Jesus did. Jesus held nothing back. I think... The more I've been doing contemplative work, I'm convinced that Jesus was filled with pain all the time, because he looked at the world as it is, and yet he knew the way it was supposed to be. He, he could see, he couldn't just see, he could feel the pain of people. He could feel the strife of the, uh, the oppressed people. He could feel the anguish in women who were, who were pushed to the fringes, who were used, abused, and discarded. He could feel the, the cries of children crying out for food, cry, crying out for inclusion. He could feel the pain of the lepers and, 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 and the people who were told that they had no value with God. He could feel it. It was in his being. And I think he was in pain And what he did was he poured everything out for the sake of the world. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he fed the hungry, he welcomed the stranger. And when the world turned on him, he didn't fight back because he knew the moment that he met violence with violence, he was perpetuating violence. The minute he met hatred with hatred, he was perpetuating hatred. The minute he met greed with greed, he was perpetuating greed, he knew that. He knew that the only path forward, if we're gonna transform the world, is the path of love. And what love looks like, it looks like sacrifice. It looks like serving. It looks like generosity. It looks like putting the needs of the other ahead of our ourselves. That's what love looks like, but love has to be tenacious. It's gotta be stubborn. Because right now, you know what it feels like? It feels like we're losing. It feels like we're losing. It feels like (laughs) we ain't gonna break through this. How are we gonna stop this spiraling trend that society seems to be on right now? How are we gonna stop that? It's really easy to get pessimistic. Guys, here in the church, we don't play retreat. We don't play taps. We play reveille. You know what reveille is? Now is the time to stand up. Now is the time to raise our heads. Now is the time to respond to God's call for this world. These intent cards that you're going to be bringing forward here in a moment, these intent cards are not about money. They involve money. How we use our money says a lot about who we are as people. You wanna know something about somebody, just look at how they use their money. Get a lot of insight into their values, into how they are orienting their lives. So these intent cards are about money, but they're, 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 they're bigger than money. They involve money. These intent cards are our way of listening to God's call for our lives. Listening to God, the Holy Spirit, tapping us on the shoulder to say my children are crying, my children are hurting. This world is not living the way it was created to live. There's too much hate, there's too much violence, there's too much division, there's too much death, there's too much suffering. And we have the capacity to do something about it. The question is, will we? And that's what the intent card is. The intent card is each of our opportunity to say yes to God, I hear you. I hear the cries, I feel the pain. I feel the hurts in our world. I can see it in my own family system. I can can see it in my workplace. Monday mornings, guys, we sit with the staff and and we go around and we say, how you doing? How's your family? What's going on? And every single week, people are hurting just right here in your staff. Folks keep showing up, they keep working, keep fighting. And I know you get this because you're experiencing it too, at home, at school, at work, and so forth. This intent card is a yes. After we crucified Jesus, God raised him from the dead. The resurrection of the Christ is God's yes to us. You wanna know God's intent card? Look at the empty tomb. God promises us that love and life will win. The only question is, do we believe it? Do we believe that? Do we really believe that that love and life are going to win in the midst of the chaos we're experiencing today? Do we really believe that love and life will create uh, hope and peace and, and joy? Not just for this generation, for the next one. You see, eternal life doesn't mean simply that Doug goes to heaven after I die. What eternal life is, is that God wants to perpetuate life from this generation to the next, to the next, to the next. Do you want to hand a worse world to your children, to your grandchildren? Is that responsible of us? We say, oh, we'll just let our kids deal with the debt, we'll just let our kids deal with the problems, we'll just let our kids deal with the chaos that we created because we weren't strong enough or committed enough to do it. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to wake you up. I'm here to to, to get the message across so that you hear the Spirit, you feel the tap on your shoulder, And that passion stirs in your heart and that passion stirs in your gut and you get stubborn and say, not on our watch, not on our watch. Those disciples didn't know what they were doing, but after Jesus' death and resurrection, they gave their lives for this mission. They gave everything because they believe this is the true path of life, this life of Jesus, this Christ way of life. Now it's our turn. So here in a moment I'm gonna sit down and, and uh, some music's gonna play and you're invited to come forward with your intent card and, and drop it here in the uh, basket and notice it's right by the baptismal font where we each were claimed and named as children of God, bearers of the Holy Spirit, called and sent to be the heart, hands and feet of Jesus in this world. May we hear this call and stand up And choose love and choose hope so we and the whole world may experience real life in Jesus' name. God loves each of you, and I do too. Amen.